well, well, well. Welcome to your favorite Thursday podcast. I'm Nick Mitchell. And I'm Scott Tedford Barnes. And you are listening to Legends of Sportsball, an educational celebration of useless jock knowledge. Thank you for joining us. We have a very special episode for you today, don't we, Scotty? Always. The specialist. The first off, it's National Sloppy Joe Day. And it's also National Awkward Moment Day. Dead air! So we'll start with the scoreboard stumper. We will uh, go into chirping booty. Um, we will. We've got one notable jabroni this week. We will get into our Hall of Fame inductee, Edith Houghton. Uh, we'll get the stumper answer. We'll play sloppy top. We'll go to church, and then we will send you on your merry little way. So, without further ado, hit me with that scoreboard stumper, Scotty. All right. So it is um, free agency time for NFL. Uh, it is also time to franchise tag your players. But what's been happening right now is people are finally getting hip to Tom Brady taking less money. Um, so the franchise tags might actually go down for certain players. You know, if people are going to defer money. What I want to know for last year, for 2020, how much would it cost you to franchise tag your quarterback? Was it, would it be $24.5 million? Twenty-two point eight million, twenty-seven point five million, or twenty-six point eight, on average. Wow! Because Tom Brady takes like what, like seventeen million or something like that, or like thirteen million, and so the there's guys who make like way too much. Pat Mahomes' contract was forty-five million dollars just for last year alone. It inflates it. I went so middle of the pack. All right, I'll go twenty-seven point five. Okay. And we'll get into that later. So, Chirp and Booty, we got a good one this week. We've got two tweets, but they both pertain to the same thing. Andy Dalton being signed to the Chicago Bears. One year, $10 million to the Chicago Bears. <laughs> so let's Chirp some booty on Andy Dalton. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Jed Demusey from Local 12 WKRC here in Cincinnati. His tweet said, I love Chicago fans thinking they are better than Andy Dalton. He just became one of the five best quarterbacks in Bears history simply by signing with them. <laughs> <laughs> Some Debra UKRC in Cincinnati humor for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton's like middle of the road sort of quarterback, but it, it, I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, the Bears don't have a strong quarterback history. No, uh, Rex Grossman led them to a Super Bowl only to be stomped by Peyton Manning, who is, I mean, Superior, or to be put, to put it light, versus Rex Grossman, <laughs> the Floridian Rex Grossman. Yeah, I mean, even even Jim Jim McMahon didn't have good numbers. He was Jim a team had leader, horrible but, numbers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just like scraped by, made sure they didn't make anything harder for their defense. Just wore headbands and stuff. Just yeah, just wore cool headbands. And then, um, you know, you know, I guess Bears fans aren't happy about the move. So our other tweet of the week is from Big Cat. Um, from Barstool, so at Barstool Big Cat. He said, D. 
Do you think Do you think Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace think they're doing a good job? Do you think they high fived after this deal was signed? <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, think about it. Russell Wilson listed listed you as a place he would want to go, and and basically two of the four teams had already been like, no, we're not going to go after. Yeah. So you have like a fifty percent chance to Russell Wilson, and you're like. Andy yeah. Dalton. It, yeah, you're like, Andy Dalton, that sounds great. Middle of the road, perfect. I mean, or, you know, Deshaun Watson's available, too. So, like, there's quarterbacks who are better than Andy Dalton, a lot of them. And you went for Andy Dalton. From the front office that brought you Mitch Trubisky. Right. And Nick Foles. <laughs> it's like Comes Andy Dalton. <laughs> It's, it's like pulling up, you know, like looking at the sandwiches that are available and you're like, I'm getting bologna and cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you go to a gourmet restaurant, you're like, I'll have the grilled cheese, yeah, please. Yeah, chicken fingers and fries. Can I yeah. get the chicken tenders? <laughs> Can I get some chicken tendies? <laughs> um, so that, um, you know, Ryan Pace, another great move. Uh, that um, moves us very smoothly into notable jabronis. So notable jabronis, um, Patrick Ewing, of course, Patrick Ewing played for the Knicks for years. His number is retired there at Madison Square Garden. He returned as the coach of Georgetown um, for the Hoyas. So following a win, uh, Patrick was walking around the stadium and kept being accosted by workers there, by the MSG staff. And they kept asking him for identification, you know, his badge. And he's like, I'm... First of all, I'm seven feet tall. I'm Patrick Ewing. Second of all, are you a New Yorker or not? So he has something to say about that. Um, but I do want to say one thing, though. They, I, I thought this was my building, and I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, asking for passes. I, everybody in this building should know who the hell I am. And I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. Like I, I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, Jesus. Is my number in the rafters or what? Rightfully so. Patrick Ewing deserves all the respect in the world. Um, then didn't he go on to win his? Yeah, the thirteen and twelve Hoyas were the eight seed in the Big East tournament, and they stomped the life out of Creighton, uh, who was the number one seed in the seventeenth ranked in the nation. Uh, they beat them seventy three to forty eight. To win it all for the Big East and to pretty much, they weren't going to make the, the tournament, the NCAA tournament. They were 13 and 12. They were massively below the bubble and they just won their tournament to get into the. <laughs> Ewing. Ewing just manned up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Master Square Garden staff, we're done with you. Yeah, we're done with you. Um, so. Don't forget, November is Jabroni History Month. Absolutely. You know, Jabroni is kind of slow right now. We had one, maybe arguably two if you want to include Ryan Pace. But, you know, don't worry. November, that's when all the Jabronis come. Yeah, and please. And we're going to have a special special month that month. Absolutely. Uh, but this month is Women's History Month. Absolutely. And this week's Hall of Fame inductee is Edith Houghton. Edith Grace Houghton was born February 10, 1912, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and was the youngest of 10 children. When Edith was six, 
her family moved to Diamond Street in Philly, where directly across the street was a baseball diamond, and when it was free, the kids in the neighborhood would start a game. Edith's father, William, was a distributor for grocery stores and was also a skilled baseball player and taught Edith many techniques that would shape her into quite the prodigy. Infatuated with baseball, Edith was even the Philadelphia police's mascot at the age of eight. <laughs> Friends, family, and fans gave her the nickname The Kid. The Kid. At the age of 10, Edith was way too young to try out for the factory baseball team, so she tried out for the Philadelphia Bobbies and won the starting shortstop rule. The Bobbies were a semi-pro team comprised of young women from ages 13 to 20, with the exception of the age 10, this phenom, the kid. And they were named after the haircut, the Bob. That's what the Bobbies <laughs> <laughs> So as the youngest and smallest on the team, Edith had to tighten her cap with a safety pin and punch holes into her belt to hold her billowing uniform. Edith never concerned herself with her appearance. She was focused and dynamic on the field, and local papers praised her performance as the highlight of their games. At 10 years old. At 10. <laughs> Semi-pro team. You're right. In 1925, the 13-year-old Houghton and the Bobbies were invited to play games against men in Japan. To raise money for the trip, the Bobbies would play exhibitions as they traveled across country until they, until they reached the West Coast, where they hopped on the SS President Jefferson for a 13-day voyage to Japan. Upon arrival, fans swarmed to see what they nicknamed, quote, the American team, and were surprised to see they dressed, quote, like real sports persons and, quote, wore sports shoes instead of high heels. <laughs> what? Edith was singled out for special praise when she caught a base runner napping and used the old hidden ball trick to tag them out. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Baller. <laughs> or that one from her dad, probably. <laughs> Despite the success of a few standouts, most often from Edith, the Bobbies did not have much success or wins. And their sponsor recalled the team's funding and even refusing to pay for their transportation home. <laughs> These are like children. Yeah. They'll just leave you in Japan. Yeah. Fortunately, an American hotel owner in Kobe put them up for a while, and a British Indian banker offered to pay for the girls' return passage to Seattle, and the Bobbies finally made their way home to the States in early December of 1925. Disillusioned with her experience with the Bobbies, Edith left to play for various teams around Philadelphia, eventually playing every position on the field. <laughs> Even pitcher and catcher. Edith would graduate from the prestigious... Philadelphia High School for Girls in 1930 and was quickly recruited by Margaret Nabel to play for the New York Bloomer Girls. Three times a week, the 18-year-old Houghton would commute to the Big Apple to make $35 a week playing the sport she loved. The next year, she was enlisted to play for the Hollywood Bloomer Girls on a team that barnstormed through Texas and Oklahoma. But at season's end, it was 1932 and the Great Depression had hit hard. Opportunities for women's baseball had all but disappeared. Still hungry to play ball, Edith boldly approached the Fishers' AA's uh, men's semi-pro team in Philadelphia and requested a tryout. She persuaded them to let her try, and she ended up winning the starting job playing first base. <laughs> the sting of the Depression eventually reached the minor leagues, and again, Edith was looking for opportunities to play and would have to settle for playing softball. Ever resilient, Houghton would learn to adjust to the smaller field and bigger ball and eventually was playing in Madison Square Garden for the New York Roverettes and would remain with them for many years. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, Edith volunteered for the WAVE's Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service. 
Waves program and worked as a storekeeper in the supplies and accounts department. Conveniently, Waves had a baseball team as well, and Edith was able to put up impressive numbers. She hit as high as 800 during stretches of the season, despite suffering a broken ankle and a bout of appendicitis during the war. She also played for and managed a women's softball team on the base. A Navy periodical praised her ability, stating, quote, enlisted Wave Houghton could make any team in this country, end quote. At war's end, Edith was frustrated with her lack of options to make a living, and she also recognized her age slowly affecting her ability to play competitively, but she knew it had to be something in the sport she loved. In February of 1946, Edith approached Philadelphia Phillies owner R.R.M. Carpenter Jr. and asked him for an interview. A few days later, Edith Houghton was announced as the first female scout in Major League Baseball history. Carpenter had expected to get flack for his hiring, but was quick to give a ringing endorsement of her appointment, saying, quote, There's no reason why a woman shouldn't be just as good a judge of a ball player as a man. Some of them know a lot more about baseball. Unquote. When she was hired, Edith announced her main goal was to snag and sign players who were big and fast, as well as stating, quote, It's not hard to pick them out. You look for the natural ability. The rest comes with training. Over the next six years, Edith scouted hundreds of players and signed 16. Although none of them made it to the majors, two did reach Class B ball. Edith's apparent lack of success as a scout may not be as clear as the numbers suggest. Because scouting is such a cutthroat activity, she said, if she felt any players had talent, quote, you can bet your buttons 10 others are after him too, end quote. After six years with the Phillies, Houghton re-enlisted in the Navy Reserve Unit for the Korean War and served two more decades, retiring as Chief Petty Officer in 1972. Edith had relocated from Philly to Sarasota, Florida in 1964, and it was there, surrounded by baseball diamonds and daily minor league games, that she would happily go to spend the remainder of her days. Edith the Kid Houghton passed away on February 2nd, 2013 just eight days before her 101st birthday. Wow, what an incredible life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Supposedly she like stormed into the Philadelphia Phillies owner like office and was just like, I'm Edith Houghton and I want to be a baseball scout. And he said that he was gonna laugh her off. Like she's like he's like I'll 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 have I'll have the last laugh when I when I sign a player who makes it to the majors because I'm gonna make money off of him. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, so the Bloomer Girls that she was part of, that was kind of like the name of the semi-pro league. So, like, semi-pro leagues were called the Bloomer Girls, and that was actually the same name of the uh, league from a league of their own. Right, because that was based on, the, yeah, they based that on real stuff. Yeah, like, you know, Donnie Henson and all that stuff. But um, for the Bloomer Girls, yeah, men played pitcher and catcher. So, uh, to get, like, imagine, like, gr- like girls, like, you know, women getting these stats off, like, a male pitcher. Like, you know? I mean, that's, that's one way of looking at it. It also looks like... It's like mansplaining in the 1920s. <laughs> like, nah, see? Like, here's how you pitch. <laughs> you dames don't know how to throw a curveball. Just get out of the way. I'll be the catcher, too. <laughs> but, um, so, they're, uh, when they went to Japan, the, the catcher for their team was Eddie Ainsmith, uh, who had caught the legend Walter Johnson. Uh, he was the, the catcher for the Bobbies on their trip. Uh, he was concerned that when Edith would catch a ball... Let me explain this. She wouldn't be able to catch it the way a guy would be able to catch it when when he's like trying to throw out runner. Yeah, it's, yeah, from throwing from behind the plate to second base to ke- th- pick off runners. Um, 
Edith assured him there would be no problems. I'm still unconvinced. Ainsmith promised an extra incentive of one yen to Edith for every catch she made. And Edith readily agreed and later remembered that she took home, quote, plenty of yen from the big league. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she was just a little badass and just continued to be a badass. I mean, the kid. The kid. I just think she, you know, all the... All the cool pictures of her. There's even like a newspaper article in her with it. Um, it says like, "Look, a woman who understands baseball." And then underneath, it's like, "And why shouldn't she?" <laughs> Edith Houghton, truly a legend. Um. All right. Without further ado, hit me with that scoreboard stumper answer. Okay, so I want to know how much how much it would cost to franchise tag your quarterback for the 2020 season, because. Quarterbacks are deferring money. Yeah, and they're all like close kind of numbers. I always went with twenty seven point five. Right. I said I said twenty two point eight, twenty seven point five, twenty four point five, or twenty six point eight. Nick said twenty seven point five. It was twenty six point eight. Wow. I mean, still, like, think about it. Like, okay, the Vikings sucked last year. Kirk Cousin makes thirty three million dollars last year. Yeah, and like uh, Ben Roethlisberger made like thirty four million. Russell Wilson made thirty five. Aaron Rodgers made thirty three or something. Jared Goff made thirty three. This is why teams are trying to get put put together a good team when they have a quarterback that's on that rookie contract. That's their one time where they have enough money outside of paying that quarterback to put a team around them. Right. But then after that, it's like they get the deal, like Mahomes' deal or Watson's deal. Or, mm-hmm. or Wilson's deal when he got his. Absolutely. And so it's like you have that small window where if you have a decent team and you got a quarterback on that rookie contract, you got a shot. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's pedal to the metal right then. Yeah. Like, look at the Cowboys. They had like three years where you're like, they might be a Super Bowl team. <laughs> no. <laughs> now Dak's getting that money. We are who they thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's play Sloppy Top. I made an extra sloppy voice. <laughs> I know how you kids like them sloppy. <laughs> Lady, you're scaring us. <laughs> this week's sloppy top topic is cutting down the nets. It is March Madness in full effect right now, so we figured we'd work a little bit of college basketball in. Yeah, what is it called? Like, what's the ceremony? Like, what's the there ceremony be a called name for the ceremony for the, of cutting the cutting? Down like, I mean, you can't just call it the cutting of the nets. Well, call it like Hank Hill. Yeah, <laughs> cutting down all the nets. Quiet, Peg. They're cutting down the nets. Uh, I, oh, the, the the cutting of the nets. I don't think that's good enough. I think that's like we don't stole your nets. <laughs> got, I got you by the nets. <laughs> I mean, most people, most teams, what they cut the nets down and then they hang it over their trophy. Because wait, do they cut the nuts, nuts down? Nuts. <laughs> do they cut them down after each conference tournament and Final Four? Um, or or it says when you advance the Final Four, they do it all the time. Yeah, because you won you won your regional tournament for advancing to the Final Four, so you cut them down then too. So you can't just have you can't cut two sets of nets in one season and be like call it good. I know it's like we're the the cutting of the nets brought to you by Home Depot and these type of ladders. It was started by Everett Case, 
who was a 23-year high school basketball head coach in his home state of Indiana, where he won four state championships. Okay. Um, in 1946, he became the head coach of the North Carolina. He became coach at uh, North Carolina State. And when the Wolfpack won the South Conference Tournament in 1947, Case climbed atop his players' shoulders and cut part of the net to have as a souvenir. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so this is a really cool backstory. So he was the coach for NC State? Yes. Okay. Wolfpack. In the 1980s, NC State coach Jim Valvano was said to have his players practice cutting down the nets in order to mentally condition them to be winners. Valvano's Wolfpack team went on to an unlikely run as a six seed to win the 1983 NCAA tournament. Yeah, and Jimmy so Jim Valvano kept Everett Case's tradition. They both were at NC State, but he mentally conditioned them to be winners by cutting down the net. <laughs> like that's how you get that winning Dude, mentality. Dude, Jim Valvano is the man. Like was the man, Jimmy V. Uh, what a dude. It's called like like the, the wolf pack, right? Mm-hmm. It's called like the howling. The howling. <laughs> Stick around for the howling. Because everybody's kind of gathered around. You know? It's like it's like a pagan ceremony of basketball. <laughs> and they're like, stay for the howling. Brought to you by Fiskers and Warner Ladders. <laughs> The official howling brought to you by Warner and Briscoe. I like the howling. I mean, I kind of like the howling because then you could go with how there's the ceremonial ladder and the ceremonial scissors and the three-point line is restricted and it's such a ceremony. And then whenever NCAA... NC State wins, they can actually howl when they get up there. Right. But it is called, like, it's, you know, they are everybody's gathered around the hoop like it's the moon. Yeah, we'll have to go to church. A sinner comes before you. Shame. So one of our listeners Shame. had pointed out that Shame. an episode from, I think it was Shame. season one... Yeah, I think it was actually the the Christmas Shame. episode. Okay. Um, Shame. One of us had said, Shame. when we were talking about Sammy Sosa, Shame. one of us had said that baseball had been very good to Shame. me. We had, like, kind of quoted Shame. him as saying that one. Yeah. And um, it was me. Uh, <laughs> I said baseball been very, very good to me. Shame. And I th- thought it was from Sammy Sosa's Shame. mouth, but according to our listener, Shame. it was started Shame. by Chico Escuela. Shame. A Saturday Night Live character, a fictional Major League Baseball player that was played by Garrett Morris. Yeah, Garrett Morris is the man. (laughs) (laughs) We were looking for clips, and what else did we find? We found a clip of him. It's it's called uh, News for for the Hard of Hearing, and while Chevy Chase is telling the news, Garrett Morris is like, his face is on the screen and to the side, and he just shouts the same news. He has his hands cupped around his mouth like a, like a human megaphone. Yeah, like, and he's just shouting stuff. Oh, my God. Genius stuff. But, yeah, so I had to you confess that I thought it was Sammy Sosa that said that, but I guess it was popularized by Chico Escuela, a.k.a. Garrett Morris. And he said, you know, baseball been very, very good to me. And then I also found in, in my research uh, that Roberto Cle- Clemente had actually at one point said, 
baseball has been very good to me, Ooh. just like normal. So like, I don't really know like if maybe that was like inspiration for Chico Escuela to say it the way he said it. Because Sosa said it, but he was quoting Chico Escuela, not Roberto Clemente. So it's like I I wonder if that was like inspiration for it or something. Maybe maybe a throwback to Clemente or both. I mean, because I mean, I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Latin players, you know. All right, we've got some. We've got multiple thoughts and prayers. First, I wanted to start with uh, Keyshawn Johnson um, and his family. His oldest daughter Maya passed away. So that's just sad. Suddenly, at the age of twenty-five. Yikes! And then um, Tiger Woods. Thoughts and prayers. T's and P's to you. He is home, but uh, he's kind of excited. They're going to recreate him in a video game for the first time in like. A long time since I guess like Tiger Woods golf or something. And then like he that. can just like sit there and play him as himself. Yeah, until he, he can... gets back up and moving. And, and, oh, until he decides to start changing his swing in the video game, and it doesn't allow him to do that because you know how <laughs> often he likes to change his swing. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this game needs more options. <laughs> this isn't real enough. <laughs> <laughs> I need uh, I need a, what are those like add-on packs? Oh, yeah. He is the special edition. Yeah. All right, and then also coming this fall, we were going to add Sunday offering to the church where um, we have we will have a special phone or guest that shall remain nameless as of now, but we'll be giving good Sunday bets for NFL games. Yeah, so, Sunday, you know, picks for you. That's right, Sunday offering. The offering plate. You know, church is just growing. Church is, yeah, church is growing. Yeah. We eventually, we might change our field our field trip to a mission trip. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a mission trip at some point. So, yeah, stay tuned for all that. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly podcast and check out our other episodes available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Legends of Sportsball. Find us on Twitter at L Sportsball, at the letter L Sportsball. Tune in next week when we deep dive Babe Diedrichson. Mm-hmm. Thank you once again for listening to Legends of Sportsball. May the sports be with you. Always.